The world has gone insane. Cosplayers rule the conventions. Gamers dominate the tabletop and the internet. Sci-fi subjugates the movies. And fantasy rules the bookstore with an iron fist. Only one group can bring order to this unruly mob. A team of uber geeks, masters of the nerdly arts, trained for decades in the hobby shops and basements of the nation. Mobilized by the secret masters, they are the Department of Nerdly Affairs. Hello, operatives, and welcome to the Department of Nerdly Affairs. I'm your host, Rob Patterson, here with my co-host, Don Chisholm. Fools, your resistance is futile and merely prolongs the inevitable. And tonight, we're going to talk about evil overlords. Specifically, why the evil overlord trope needs to die. It needs to die a horrible death, as much as those overlords do themselves. Let's start this out as we usually do. So, Don, how would you define an evil overlord? Uh, I think from uh, the preliminary discussion we had before we were recording, when you talk about the evil overlord, you're talking about, I'm going to say they, they, there's two things that kind of conflagrate. Mm-hmm. You're talking about what in video games would be considered the boss, yes. supposedly mm-hmm. yeah, the, the figurehead in charge of the whole evil operation. And in some ways, I think what you're also looking at is how a given story personifies the concept of evil period that Mm. gets embodied in, in, in the leader of the organization because they set the tone for all the minions. I I agree with what you said. And um, I I think I'm going to start this by coming clean. Um, This topic actually comes from me um, because I freaking hate evil overlords. I mean, there are only three evil overlords. I actually am okay with that. I, that I actually like. Okay, and I'm going to name them right now. Their names are Sauron, because he's the OG. Like he, he's the original <laughs> evil overlord, um, because he's the one that pretty much the rest of them are all patterned after to one degree or another, I would say. At least the modern mm-hmm. ones are. Uh, we can go into their history a little bit later. Um, I would say the next one would be Doctor Doom, because mm-hmm. Doctor Doom is really cool. And I would, I would classify him as an evil overlord. Um, and the last one I would say is Eins Ulgon from the uh, Japanese light novel slash anime called Overlord because mm. he is awesome and cool. But that's mostly because the whole story is actually told from his point of view. So it's it's actually very entertaining. Um, except for that, I really don't like evil overlords. I absolutely hate them and to the almost the point where I despise them. <laughs> because as I was telling Don right before the show... Um, I recently tried to go out and read some uh, Western fantasy. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to read some stuff by popular fantasy authors that I haven't gotten around to. So I'm like, okay, I'll go read The Wheel of Time. And then I'm like, oh, wait, this is a story about plucky young heroes who will eventually defeat an evil overlord. Oh, okay. Uh, I'll go read Brandon Sanderson's work. I should read this one, The Way of Kings, which is about plucky young heroes who will eventually defeat an evil overlord. Okay, I'll read Mistborn. Oh, it's about plucky young heroes who eventually defeat an evil overlord. <laughs> and it just goes on and on. The only thing I could find without a true evil overlord was uh, Game of Thrones. And even that has an evil overlord. 
the of course the Night's King, which everyone's familiar with. Although he's technically not an evil overlord in the traditional sense, and he's kind of like a a side thing that's going on rather than the main focus of the story. So I'm kind of okay with that. I don't mind him too much. Um, but generally speaking, I found it really hard to find something without an evil overlord. And the truth is, I hate Western concepts of evil overlords, Western fantasy concepts, and the way they usually are, because I read a lot of Asian fantasy these days, um, light novels, web novels, etc. Go see our interview with the Treading the Path of Heaven podcast, guys, if you want to hear more about that. But anyone who listens to the show probably knows this already. And one of the things that I've gotten from reading those stories is that even in the crappiest light novel or web novel, the evil bad guys, like the main bad guys, the boss, the, like the, the guy at the top and everything like that, is almost always still a character who is still connected to that world. Like they are motivated by the system that they live in among the the order of that world they have a place in the pecking order of that world and they serve a purpose there are people above them sometimes even there are people under them but they have a position they have a place in that world and they feel like they're a part of that world even if it's a quote-unquote evil or you know usually just corrupt ser- self-serving and cruel part in most part they usually tend to be jerks and we're into power who want their power but they're usually still a part of this order that they exist in um, there is an exception, which we'll talk about in a bit. Whereas in Western stuff, the evil overlord, it's its always this self-generating entity that basically woke up one day and said, you know, I'm going to take over the world. And so they did. And now the heroes have to go and stop them because that's what heroes do. And the character basically just exists to be a final boss in a video game. And the story is about how our plucky young heroes get together and eventually defeat the evil boss because, okay, I admit that's the story everyone loves. I get it. I mean, it, there's, it's enjoyable. I watch Star Wars too. I read Lord of the Rings like everyone else. But it's just, I want something different. And I've gotten really burnt out on the whole evil overlord trope. It's just so hard to find a good story without one. Without some master boss who's like manipulating things behind the scenes or something like that, or is basically just the final boss our heroes have to face. Hmm. <sighs> there's my there's my rant, and that's why <laughs> that's why I hate evil overlords. What say you, Don? You've been keeping us in for a while, haven't you? Oh, I have. This is something that's built up for a while. I I really do not like evil overlords or this whole the whole concept of them drives me nuts. Um. I mean, again, it's not inherently a bad thing. It's just that it's way, way, way overused. And I mean, I I guess I prefer stories where the characters are actually, again, part of the setting, like the good guys and the bad guys and everything is interconnected in its own way. Whereas mm-hmm. I find that that's just not the case with most... Um, with most Western fantasy stories. They're still just so locked into the whole Tolkien trope. And that ultimately our heroes will have to face off against, oh, the evil supervillain at the end. It's like, ugh, please. No. <laughs> no, just yeah. just stop it. Yeah, I think there's three things that kind of conflagrate that cause this. Mm-hmm. Please go ahead. And, yeah, because I think they develop over time. I think the first thing, specifically when you talk like fantasy or sword and sorcery, mm-hmm. is the idea that fantasy tends to be drawn in very broad strokes. Very true. Uh, yeah, so that's that's what what ends up happening is good is good, 
evil is evil, and that's just how it is. Yes, yep, that's true. And that's that's part of that, I think, is the Western concept of good and evil is part of the problem, too. But we can get to that later. Yeah, there, there is, because we tend to just do it in an absolutist sense. Yes. And and that's something that's kind of, uh, it runs all throughout, like, Western society is good is good, evil is evil. You're either good or you're evil, and never the twain shall meet. Yeah, like, we've, we've talked about that... Um, fairly recently when we did like uh, a criminals mm-hmm. how there's a school of thought in real life not just in entertainment that if you're a criminal right it's because that's some kind of defect within you you're inherently a crook yeah yeah we talked about that recently exactly and i think that's again fantasy is where that runs totally amok that we don't have to give uh motivation mm-hmm. to characters because He's evil is 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 plenty. That's all you have to know. He must be. He's got like green skin and and tusks. Of course, he's evil. Exactly, and and it's so ingrained. And this this is part of the problem, right? They they want to keep that evil character um, other. They want to keep it simple and basically something that the, that is vaguely menacing. Okay, that's the bad guy. We know he's evil. He does evil stuff, and therefore the hero is totally justified going and beating the crap out of him. Hmm. And killing um, him. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and thwarting his evil schemes and getting to like what you were you were getting at before. Mm-hmm. The evil character does evil for the sake of evil. Yes. Exactly. Oh, exactly. Like, like they want it. They want to take over just to take over. Exactly. Yeah. I I always think of it again. I I hearken back to the uh, to the don't ask adventure for the old DC heroes role playing game. Oh why? The well because when they gave the. Uh, motivations for villains they divided them into two broad categories Mm -hmm. and that was villains who say bah and villains who don't say bah and you're basically (laughs) talking about villains who say bah yeah in in other words villains that actually have something of a personality and villains who just don't kind of it's they have personality but the, the differential in the game which i think again applies to writing is a villain who says bah is the kind of the guy that would say bah you fools would be so much better under my absolute rule whereas a villain who doesn't say bah as they put it would be the kind of guy that points a gun to your head and asks how many fingers he's holding up and then he shoots you because you say how many he is as opposed to how many he thinks he is yeah okay there's that yeah so, but that, but that's it. That's the, 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 the first part of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, what comes in and again, you've, you've kind of bumped into it. If you're writing sword and sorcery in the Western world, you're either ripping off Tolkien or Conan. Pretty much. Yeah, that's true. Cause, and, and this is where it's, it's, it's interesting to look at cause old Conan, the classic Conan, the Robert E. Howard stories, mm-hmm. there's no evil overlord. There isn't? I thought usually there was some like evil sorcerer behind everything that Conan would go, not every, in each individual story, there'd be some like evil sorcerer he was usually like going to ram a sword through at the end of the story. There could be. Uh, a lot of them had that. A lot of them would have um, like a, a an evil ruler. A lot of times it would be, be circumstance because that sort of idea mm-hmm. of like a, a, like a, like a boss battle, it kind of comes in later. Because mm-hmm. remember, the original Conan stories were written in the 30s. Yeah, yeah. And then when you get, like, to the 50s and 60s, uh, the guy, was it El Sprague de Camp? Mm-hmm. I think is one of them that had the rights to, to Conan. 
and was partly responsible for the big comeback in the 60s and the 70s. Right. But wrote more stories other than Howard. They added more of that. And then when the Marvel comic came out. Right. It was really good, but it brought in other tropes. So they would have like a longer running story that would have like an arcing villain. Mm -hmm. um, they added the idea. I think it was a Toth Ammon. Yeah. Yeah. The, the evil sorcerer became kind of like the main evil villain for Conan. Yeah. But kind that, of. Yeah. And, but that was much more of a thing. Like he gets mentioned a couple times in the old, uh, the novels before, as you put it, Conan runs a sword through him. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to have recurring villains when they die horrible deaths at the end of every story. Well, that's true. But, <laughs> but it was that idea that it there there wasn't the world wasn't in Conan anyway wasn't a big mm -hmm. complete picture. It was a bunch of little kingdoms and a bunch of different groups and a bunch of behind the scenes powers and a front of the scenes powers and just random things happening. Well, yeah, it's a person who lives in a world a society. Um, sort of, very loosely anyway, um, yeah. who is navigating that world. That very yeah. tough, you know, jungle floor world in Conan's case. But okay, yeah, it's, it's the way it works out. Where, whereas, whereas? Oh, whereas like Tolkien, it's a very structured world. And mm -hmm. it's got definite hierarchies and definite organization. And then that's where you get the idea of uh, Sauron as the supreme like literally the supreme source of all evil. Yeah. And then under him or his, his minions like Saruman is, 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 is tempted by evil and the ring tempts anybody who gets it. And even Gollum could be considered like one of the, the left tenants underneath yeah. the, the, the main power. And, and it's, mm -hmm. it's that in recent times that became the template that most people use. Yes. I mean, them and, of course, the standard comic book supervillains. I mean, well, we can yeah. get it. We can get into that, too. I think comic book supervillains have kind of... Comic books and video games have also changed things. But at least as far as fantasy goes, like pure fantasy, it's all Sauron still. Like, it's all... Ultimately, they're all still... There's that final fantasy Sauron devil substitute boss that's basically there at the end that you have to defeat. That's behind everything. And if you defeat him, it all goes away. Yep, there's there's that. I think um, there's a third thing that factors in that leads to why that is so mm -hmm. the standard now. Mm -hmm. And I think you're kind of hitting on it because what you get when you get to like movies, everybody likes a good climatic like fight scene at the end of your movie. Mm -hmm. So you see the, the 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 fantasy movies heading towards that ideal that there's. There's a supreme villain mm -hmm. that has to be defeated. Yep, and then and then that's everyone lives happily ever after. It's, it for for a movie, a self-contained world like that, it works pretty good. Oh yeah, yeah, no question. And for a video game too. Yeah, and then you, what you also see uh, going into the '90s was the idea of quote unquote story arc as a selling point for your series. Mm -hmm. And that works really well if you have a big bad, because then that's the thing that unifies the action. It gives it focus and it gives you that target that, you know, the story is done when we finally defeat the the evil bad guy commander and then everything just disappears, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I mean, 
the idea of evil kings and all that is a really old one. It's not like there's nothing new about that. I mean, the Sheriff of Nottingham, for example, in Robin Hood, etc. I mean, these legends and stories there have always been stories where there's like an evil you know evil king hell every war the other guy's leader is an evil <laughs> king basically and so there's always evil kings and we and they you know you face their minions and eventually you defeat them or something like that that's always been part of the game um but i think what i what bothers me so much is it's just become so generified and so standardized that it just it just it just annoys me. Uh, I mean that these characters exist just to be, just to just to be evil, just to exist. I mean they just literally for the character to beat at the end. That's all this character exists to do. It's not a conflict between two characters with different ideas or something like. No, no, this character, no, he's evil. He's just there to be defeated, to be killed at the end of the movie or the book or whatever. Ta-da! Yeah, there's there's that. Um, like I say, I think probably since the 90s that's been super ingrained in every every fantasy story and i think that's spilled out into other types of like nerdly entertainment well that, that yeah yeah that's true yeah because you kind of see that that's something that you get with um a lot of the the superhero movies that mm-hmm. have come out in the last say 15 years are always based around who that evil overlord villain is Oh yeah, there's no question. We just finished Avengers Endgame, and mm-hmm. um, there's you know Thanos is another generic evil overlord. Although I will admit that they actually did a decent job with him of trying to make him a little more of a character. Like I mean, he's still basically generic cartoon supervillain evil overlord, but at least they gave it a little try. They, they at least tried to do something with him that was a tiny bit different and made audiences actually think about things. Yeah, and and again, if you look at the Avengers movies. They're all more or less the same movie. Yeah, they are, of course. That the evil overlord has to get a hold of the glowing MacGuffin and, and use that for vague evil. Because if you remember, Ultron is your typical like evil overlord guy. Yep, yep, evil machine overlord. Yeah, well, I mean, any master villain is an evil overlord. I mean, well, they 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 are now. Like they don't have to be, mm-hmm. but they always try to do that. Like, I I think again because. It feels more solid. Mm-hmm. Like this was the thing we've we've talked about before. One of the things I don't like about, say, the the Marvel movies and that mm-hmm. they tie everything together. So everything that happens in like the Marvel Cinematic Universe somehow ties back to either Hydra or Shield. I'm not quite sure that's right. I mean, it's it's pretty close. Like they 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 tie everything into the same couple of groups and couple of characters. Whereas in the comic, mm-hmm. the Marvel Universe has yeah every every third house has a mad scientist to some degree doing something in their garage that will either give them powers or turn them evil. Right, that part is and, correct. That's true. Yeah, and it sets the tone for this big freewheeling world where all kinds of stuff can happen and there's different levels of stuff and you lose that in the movies because again like. Hydra is, we find out, is behind everything. If you look at, say, the Spider-Man movies, mm-hmm. somehow, or the Spider-Man cartoons, that it always comes back to Oscorp somehow. Yeah, because they've gone back to getting to that master villain thing. Yeah. And, well, because at a certain point, they realize that that's the easiest way. I mean, it's the best that the hero has some master villain that he's constantly uh, 
fighting against the minions of. It it is, but I also think what part of that is it's that idea coming out in the nineties. You had a lot of um, a lot of critique of pop culture, and a lot of it was, I'm going to say, weirdly cynical. Mm-hmm. In that things had couldn't just be fun; they had to be quote unquote good, right? And that idea of the random villain villain of the week got poo pooed for being bad story writing, but the story arc of tying everything together into the big whatever became the standard for quality and then just yeah. everybody hopped on that bandwagon even though it's a villain of the week who just lasts an entire season instead of yeah yeah and they all tend and each season villain tends to actually be very similar to the, the last one that's one of the problems that these shows tend to run into it is and then it's it's that idea that they'll whoever your big bad is everything gets tied back into that mm-hmm. somehow Yep. The only the only place I've seen where I think it works really good because it's kind of a parody of that mm-hmm. is if you ever watch the Venture Brothers. Okay. Nope. Don't watch it. They oh they have the Guild of Calamitous Intent. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that sounds about right. It's it's a villain. It's basically like a villain union. Hmm. Um. It 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 sort of subverts that idea that everything ties in. Right. It's played for weird laughs, but they did an oddly decent job of setting it up. Right. And and the the idea is if you're an unlicensed villain who's arching a superhero, the guild will like bring the hammer down on you. And it's established, they actually go through the whole story. It has to do with Aleister Crowley and him getting thrown out of a, a blimp, but you have to, I can't explain, and then David Bowie shows up, but I can't, you have uh, to sort of watch it. Okay. Yeah, sure. you, have, you have to watch it. But the idea was that the bad guys kind of came to terms with the good guys mm-hmm. so that each could do their thing, but they set up like, like, like guidelines and there, there's, there's a, Rules a of guild. engagement. Yeah. 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 And, and standards for how you can do something and when, and there, there's an introductory video. We should see if it's online and, and link to it. Okay. About where the, when you join the guild about what your membership entails and your responsibilities and that, Really? They did an actual... Okay, that's pretty funny. Yeah. What it, what it's a lot like, if you picture... I can give two examples from the other way. If you mm-hmm. think of, like, the Marvel movies... Yeah. Uh, the the what would what they call that? The the Avengers Imperative? Yeah. Uh, the Avengers... Not Imperative. Initiative. Yeah, the Avengers Initiative. If the bad guys had done that, that's kind of what the guild is. Mm-hmm. And if you read uh, or follow One Punch Man... Yeah what the uh the hero association is if the bad guys have one which they kind of do in the comic but if it was worked more like mm-hmm. the the actual heroes association where it was that organized and, right, and, right. and that standardized right no that makes sense so i've i've seen that and like i said that i thought was cuz it's an interesting take it's not just that you know we meet in our giant floating skull and discuss doing evil it's it was actually part of the setting it got worked cuz there's they play off of that with guys who don't want to join mm-hmm. and still be villains. And that's one of the running gags is the monarch. Right. Has, he's obsessed with uh, Dr. Venture and being his arch, but he got taken off and sent to everybody else that he sends to, to be the arch villain for. He keeps killing mm-hmm. because he doesn't want, he's, he's looking for an excuse and it's a running gag. And, and again, they, they play it up because they're kind of aware. Mm hmm. Of, of the trope but but like you say a lot of other stuff it's kind of played straight and i think again a lot of that's 
it's inertia because it's that idea that if you just have random quote unquote villains of the week, that's somehow inferior writing in your story is is poop and this is much better if we do it this way, even though you can technically do it either way. Oh yeah, you can totally do it either way. In fact, actually, in some ways I've started to, uh, it's this weird thing where I used to hate the whole concept of villain of the week. And then I love mm-hmm. the idea of the big bad for like each season of the show or shows should always have a big bad in that. And the weird thing is I've now started to come out on the other side where I'm actually starting mm-hmm. to appreciate villains of the week because I guess they it, it gives it a lot more variety. Like a big bad can give things focus. And that's fine. Right. That's good, actually. That can be a very good thing if it's played well and presented well. Having a main bad guy can give things tension and focus that a villain of the week can't just can't do. No question on that. But on the other hand, villains of the week can make the world a lot bigger place. Like yeah. they can show that there's different kinds of villains in this setting and different takes on things. And they don't always have to have the same themes and ideas behind them, which is what's going to happen with a big bad. Yeah. And so some shows, like a lot of the DC shows that are on right now, usually try to have a little bit both ways. They usually try to have a they usually have a, a big bad who is there and pops up to influence things every couple episodes, and in between they fight like villains of the week, or, to some degree. It depends on the show, and yeah. I guess that that's kind of tried to have your cake and eat it too. But even there, the o- o- evil overlord thing tends to kind of fall a little flat. Um, in a lot of cases anyway because they don't really because the problem with what happens on those shows is they have 22 episodes right so Mm -hmm. yeah the evil overlord this oh the flash was super bad for this this season okay so they had a villain and each week they would each time he popped up they would defeat him and then just when they had him he would just he actually had the ability to basically fly he just he just fly away right (laughs) and they sometimes they literally just stand around and watch him fly away it's like, huh, well, I guess he got away. Yeah, because you guys didn't even try. What the hell? Because yeah. it's like, well, we can't have them actually capture the villain because then that would mean that the, um, you know, then that he wouldn't be there for the end, would he? <laughs> so, and that's the one problem you run into with those, with, uh, you know, big bads sometimes. It's like, why didn't you just take him out right in the beginning? Wait, wait. And the answer is, they just have to keep coming up with excuses why he doesn't get taken out right at the beginning. So he can be yeah. around there, he can be around for the end. And I guess, I, I, I guess that works, but it's kind of annoying. That's one of my other problems uh, with Evil Overlords. And there was a certain show that I saw that did this recently uh, really, mm. really poorly. I'm not actually going to sp- say what it was because it would uh, spoil things for certain people who may not have seen um, the last season of a certain show. Um, <laughs> but uh, that's as far as I'm going to give. But there's an episode where there's an evil overlord light character um, and they make it very clear early on that, yeah, you know, he's the source, he's literally the source of all evil. If you take this guy out, um, you know, all the bad guy, all, all his army will just stop. And so, and I hate it when they do that because then right. it just becomes, he's just a, he's just a giant mobile reset button basically. And so we, we yeah. literally watch the main characters like get, beaten around and chased around and do all this stuff and it's really boring when you realize okay so which one ca- which character is eventually going to press the reset button and the answer is oh that character is going to repress the reset button bang reset button pressed all the bad guys army disappears the heroes are saved ta-da i hate that i really really hate <laughs> that that drives me fucking nuts 
Like I get right. the whole. Um, I think there's a term for that. It's not MacGuffin. There's actually a term for that. I'm trying to remember what it is. Where the bet, where it's, I just call it the reset button. Um, it's right. worse as time travel stories that do this, where the main character is basically all these horrible things happen, but you know if that one character just gets punched in the face, time resets itself, and all these characters will be back to life <laughs> anyway. So none of this really means anything. This is just an exercise in watching the characters get chased around for a filler hour of TV or movie or whatever. And then bang, the character gets hit and boom, everything's reset to exactly how it was at the beginning. Yeah. That's something I hate about time travel movies because they almost always fall prey to that. Not always though. There are exceptions. Well, that's the, the problem with, with, uh, with time travel as soon as you introduce it is why can't I just go back and try again? Yeah. Like, unless you come up with a really good reason, then the story kind of falls apart because you're like, well, I'll just keep doing this. Yep, exactly. You'll just keep doing it until you get that one reality or one pattern that actually makes it work. And that's why there's a movie called uh, Edge of Tomorrow with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt uh, mm-hmm. based on a Japanese light novel called All You Need Is Kill, which is a very Japanese name. <laughs> but anyway, but if for most or people... 1970s America. That's true. But most Charles Bronson in yeah. all you need is kill. Yeah, um, but most <laughs> people who are listening to this have probably already seen Edge of Tomorrow. But that is the one flaw with that movie is that the dude basically has quote unquote unlimited attempts, and you're literally just watching him go from being a file clerk to an ultra massive warrior because he's training up in between all the times he's 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 living and then dying and then living and then dying and then living and he's going through the endless numbers of cycles. Well, technically, I re- even watching the movie, I realized at a certain point, well, well, wait a sec. This guy can't lose. He's ultimately stuck in a loop, but he's getting better every time. He's learning what where to move and what to do and everything. It's like you literally took 5,000 times to play a video game. Guess what? After 5,000 times, you're going to know exactly what to do in that game to make sure you get the best ending. Yeah, there, there's one catch, I think, to uh, mm-hmm. All You Need Is Kill, and it's the same catch that Groundhog Day has. Right. Because you don't exactly know how it works. You don't know how many resets you get. That is true. You're, you're, you're exactly right on that. We don't know how many resets. In theory, you could run out of them, or um, what they almost always do... I'm going to spoil something, sorry for all you need skill, is that they basically make it clear that, oh, wait, this last time, it really is the last time. He's not going to reset again. Mm-hmm. You know, they come up with some excuse to make to take away that reset ability the final time just to add a little drama to the climax. Yeah. So that he, they can actually die, probably. Um, <laughs> and I don't remember if Groundhog Day has that happen too. No, Groundhog Day is different because he just simply has to actually not be an asshole and eventually the system will let him free. Um, mm-hmm. But the thing is, he doesn't know that. So he has no idea why yeah. why it happens or how it happens or if it's going to happen again. That, yeah, that's true. Although at a certain point, if I remember Groundhog Day, he basically does basically say, you know, fuck it. It's just going to keep happening. So he just starts doing whatever he wants. Yeah, there's there's a few parts like that. Because he's pretty sure it's going to reset, and ta-da, it does. Surprise. Um, mm. And it, anyway, so so yeah, reset buttons, which are uh, you know a trope that gets attached to evil overlords, also tend to you know um, yeah piss me off. Um, not quite as much as evil overlords. Actually, maybe even more than evil overlords themselves. I got to say, mm-hmm. reset buttons are really bad because once you know they're there, like I said, it's just a question of oh, which of these characters is going to you know, 
kill the guy or do whatever it takes to press that reset button and to the everything bad is about to be is effectively undone and yeah. that just i don't know that just doesn't feel satisfying to me maybe i've just watched too many of these things i don't know but <laughs> there's no satisfaction to me in that why well, i think again because it's it's it it comes from the same schools of thought that have the modern version of the evil overlord to begin with mm. that you need a big flashy finish mm-hmm. you want the kurosawa-esque mass fight scene that everything has to have these days mm. wrapping that up is really messy if you have that this is clearly the end and when we hit this point it's the end everybody applaud i think that goes over well mm-hmm because the first example I can really think of that sort of thing where it kind of comes out of nowhere and just gets accepted by the audience was uh, Return of the Jedi. Oh, yeah, that's true. Darth Vader's dead. The Emperor's dead. So the Empire's just gone now? Yeah. There's, there's millions of troops, and don't forget, they made it clear in the first movie that the Grand Moffs are like petty local tyrants. Yeah, well, that's the thing, right? The Empire still exists. There's no reason mm-hmm. for there's no reason for it to suddenly fall just because the Empire, sorry, just because the Emperor is dead. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not. Uh, and why do they just stop fighting? I mean, okay, yeah, the Death Star does blow up in Return of the Jedi, so that is a pretty good reason to stop fighting, but. But yeah, you're right. I mean, after that, they're celebrating. I guess you could argue in the movie, they're just simply celebrating that the Death Star is destroyed, the Emperor is dead, and the Empire has taken what may be a fatal blow. Yeah, and and it works for the movie, but the second you think about it, there's a lot more going... Like, you could do more movies after that, because that's not the end of the story, but... For the mm-hmm. audience, it feels like the end of the story, so we're all cool with that, and then nobody puzzles over this ever again. That's not entirely true. I mean, a lot of the uh, post-Jedi uh, Star Wars stuff, uh, there's two versions of it now, of course. There's the ex- these, the expanded universe that uh, they started mm-hmm. for the novels with Timothy Zahn's novel, and then there's another reset that they did. Disney did a couple years ago. And in both of them, it's generally accepted that what happened is, is that the, the rebellion managed to carve out its own new republic, and, but mm-hmm. the, the empire still existed in one form or another. And so they, they called them the imperial remnant is what they called them, which basically, you know, the because the problem in both versions is, is that the, all the moths basically said, no, I'm the new emperor. And they just took their territory. So what you ended up with is you ended up with dozens or hundreds or thousands, whatever it is, of little mini empires. They all yeah. claimed that they were the real one and they didn't really work well together. Although there were some stories about, you know, various guys coming back and trying to unite some of them together and reform the empire. But which is and that's perfectly reasonable. I mean, to me, mm. that's not that's not a bad thing. Um, and you're right. We could have told some great stories in that. And although, ironically enough, as far as I know, the extended expanded whatever universe that, that, that after uh, Return of the Jedi that they did for the longest time there was still basically just retreads of someone's building a super weapon. I guess we better stop them. And <laughs> so they did some other stuff, but that's mostly what it was. Yeah, the, the, there was that in different versions added new evil overlords. Yes, they all do. And, well, ever, there's a, well, there's always another moth, right? 
Well, not just that, but um, if I remember the the uh, the post Jedi novels mm-hmm. added the idea, like they added the cloned emperor. Yes, that was Timothy Zahn's uh, creation. Yeah, they they added the, what was it the Yuzin Vog? Eventually, because they ran out of Imperial remnants and super weapons, so they introduced these guys from another galaxy or something invaded. That was the Yuzen Vong, yeah. Yeah, it, there was uh, when Marvel, prior to that, Marvel had a comic they still had the rights to after the movies ended. Mm-hmm. They added, um, oh, they added essentially like a new Darth Vader, which if I remember, wasn't it Shira Bree brought back like Vader was? I didn't read those comics. Were the Okay. The Marvel Star Wars comics, were they any good? I'm going to say, yeah, it was, and the, they added the Nagai. The Nagai were supposedly, because that storyline sort of ends just when it got canceled. And the Marvel ones, I'm going to say something that a lot of people are going to be like all up in arms about. No, the Marvel ones, I still really like. Okay. I actually like the ones that happen during the movies. Mm-hmm. Like, say, the first 40... 40 or 50 issues of it. Right. Because they had the kind of thing that the evil overlord tends to take away. Mm-hmm. And that is the galaxy was a big place. There's all kinds of crazy shit going on. And mm-hmm. they introduced all kinds of different main villains. And I thought that was great. Right. The uh, Walt Simonson ones that happened after, like just before return of the Jedi and just after mm-hmm. a lot of fans actually like those and I thought those were pretty good, but they started to suffer from that problem of ensmalling the galaxy. Right. That it would be, everything would be based around, say, one or two threats, and that would be ongoing in the background. Mm-hmm. And there would be ideas that they would add that they would keep coming back to mm-hmm. because they were trying to do a more solid continuing story. And I think it kind of suffered for that because you took away a lot of the, the weirdness. Hmm, okay, no, no, that's actually okay. That's good to know. Actually, well, they're probably worth checking out. I'm sure. You, I'm sure our listeners can find the collections of them around if they go looking. Yeah, you you can basically find all of them except, say, the last five issues. In collected form, you mean? Yeah, like the the first few, like the I think I think they were doing like collected ones, but they only got up to like the 30s or the 40s. Okay. And then if you wait around, like the most of these things had such huge print runs because Star Wars being the comic that saved the comic industry. Right. They had such huge print runs. If you wait, you can find like readable copies for fairly cheap. Right. It's just the um just before it got canceled, this the the sales just totally tanked. And that's why it's so hard to find the last few, especially the very last issue, which I think was 107. Right. Oh my god, if you find that anywhere, it goes for like super high prices because like more than say the first six issues, which were the original story. And and it's because it had such a low print run. Mm. Like it's hard to believe, but when you got to like, yeah, around uh, 86, 87, 88, not too many people gave a shit about Star Wars. I can see that. Yeah, because well, Return of the Jedi was 86, I think it was. Return? 83. 83. Return was 83. Okay, well, yep. well I'm off quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, then, yes, definitely that people did not really care that much. Star Wars had kind of had its day and was dormant because Lucas wasn't interested in making any movies and there was no... I, I guess at that point, literally the only Star Wars stuff coming out was those comics. 
Well, there was, and, and the other thing that... Well, Ewoks, that, but androids, but anyway. Yeah, because that, that's why I, I always maintain, mm-hmm. when Return of the Jedi came out, nobody hated Ewoks. That came later. And I think I think it's because they wanted to, to retool it mm-hmm. to get the kids into it again, so you could do, like, as the kids grow up, you could continue the story, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And after getting stormtroopers and death stars and sith lords we got ewoks 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 yeah i think i think it was around 85 86 that people really started to dislike ewoks (laughs) i think a lot of people were lukewarm on them to begin with people thought they were kind of cute but they were lukewarm but then but yeah after two ewok movies an ewok cartoon series and ewok comic what an Ewok comic. Oh, yeah, an Ewok comic and everything. That's true. Star uh, Marvel Starline had an Ewok comic. Um, yeah. And you got to remember, this is the only Star Wars stuff we're getting. We're Star Wars fans who love Star Wars and want more Star Wars stuff. And what are we getting? Ewoks. And it was all kids kid stuff. Yeah, it was all kids was... Ewoks. And a little bit of droids. There was the droids cartoon, yeah. too, which was a little better. But anyway. Yeah, it actually, it wasn't. The, the droids one wasn't bad. It 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 was kind of it had the problems that it was a prequel, mm. and it featured like the two comedy relief guys from the original movie. Mm-hmm. So it, I think it was hard to get people excited about that. But they they did some interesting stuff. There was some because uh, they did it. Oh shoot! There's like three or four overall stories to the droids cartoon, right? And each one is comprised of a couple of episodes, and they—they they were some of them were interesting. It's just that I—I I think at that point, yeah, like you said, people were getting a little Star Wars burned out, mm-hmm. and you've got the comedy relief guys and these weird, super kiddied up versions of the uh, killer teddy bears, and yeah, people like what else is there? <laughs> exactly. Well, we were kind of ready to move on, I think. Yeah, and you know, you know. Fads end, cultures change, and such, and and it wasn't until uh, let's see, Timothy Zahn did his novels, uh, *Heir to the Empire*, which everyone went nuts over, mm-hmm. and also uh, *Dark Horse* did a series of novels called *Dark Empire*, and everybody yeah. lost their minds over those because uh, they were because they were real Star Wars again. Yeah, and, and around the same time, the uh, the original uh, role-playing game came out. And I remember people went for that pretty big, too. Oh, yeah, that's true. Although the original role-playing game, I believe, came out first. I think that the, the comic and Zan's novels didn't come out until, like, the 90s. Yeah, the role-playing game, I want to say, was I think 88? late 80s. Yeah, I think 88, yeah, I somewhere say. around there, yeah. And so the role-playing game, now, that was a big thing. Like, I remember that was mm-hmm. a big deal because uh, that came out when I was still in high school. So that must have been in yeah. the late 80s. Yeah, it would be about 88. Because I remember mm-hmm. one of my classmates uh, bringing it to our lunchroom role-playing sessions and uh, showing it to everyone. It's like, oh, here's a Star Wars game. It's like, oh, really? And so we we're all looking at it and everything like that. And I think we played it a bit. Um, yeah. It was okay. It was actually, it, was, it, was, it wasn't bad. Uh, it, had, yeah. it was very different than D&D. I mean, you know, it had its own little quirks um and it we i think we struggled with some of the rules if i remember right i'm trying to remember but i think we had we weren't sure exactly how we were supposed to add some of the dice pools and things and exactly how that worked back then okay because it was the first time we've been exposed to a dice pool 
Uh, uh, for reference, for those who I know what we're talking about, if I remember right, the Star Wars games, you had pools of dice and you rolled them together and you added them up, right? And that was how you that was how you got yeah. successes or whatever, yeah. And so, and if you got you know the higher the number, with the bigger success, and it was done based on d sixes, if I remember right. But we weren't yep. sure how some of them combined. Like the rule, first edition rules were a little vague on some of that. So it was like, okay, do I take my skill and also my pool of dice for my statistic, or is it just the skill one that I'm using? Like oh, if okay. I'm going to shoot my gun, that kind of thing. Okay, yeah, it's just whichever is higher. Oh, it was whichever was higher. And at yeah. first we tried just using the skill one. Then we thought, oh, no, no, they go together. So we were we were adding both of them together. Mm-hmm. And that produced really interesting results because suddenly everyone was, <laughs> the, was an ultra marksman. And all, you know, suddenly everyone had super high numbers in that case. Um, right. And then we <laughs> so eventually, I think we got sorted out. But it, anyway, it was a bit of a mess at first. So, but it again, it was it was a different approach to gaming that we hadn't quite seen before. And so, yeah. regardless, and the Star Wars books, though, had some amazing, uh, sorry, and the Star Wars role-playing game did have some amazing source books. Like, they did yeah. some really great source books, and they did their best to expand the galaxy. And it's an amazing amount of that stuff is actually still considered canon, too. Yeah, well, because some of it, too, they uh, they used a lot of the, 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 the design work from the uh, movies. Mm-hmm. So some of the different types of stormtroopers you saw in the game were prototypes and and rough ideas for stormtroopers that didn't get used in the movie yeah yeah that makes sense because because we played the hell out of the game and again it was the star wars that people wanted it was like the evil villain and the daring heroes and spaceships and blasters and Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. no yub nub song and things like that Oh yeah, and they and some good modules too, like uh, some yeah. good adventures that for you to go on. And yeah, West End Games did a great job with the Star Wars RPG. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, fantastic. Uh, going back to our main topic, though, yeah, the Star Wars version with the Emperor there is always one that I've been. I guess I'm more neutral on it. He's not an evil overlord that I hate because, at least, he's kind of in between, really, because. In the original movies, he doesn't have a whole lot of role. He doesn't really have a major role. Like, he's, no. he is kind of just there to be a reset button at the end or to be, like, the final thing that Luke kills. Like, the Emperor, you could almost argue, the evil overlord in Star Wars is really broken to two characters. There's the Emperor and there's Vader. Yeah. Vader really serves as the evil overlord for most of the story. And then there's the Emperor on top of that. But because Vader has his own... Um, motivations and own story and everything that you kind of get, I think he, I think he kind of works. Like I don't mind Darth Vader at all. I think he's actually fairly cool. But I, so I guess that version of it, I don't mind. It's just like I said, I don't like the ones that are just they're evil because they're evil, and that's way too common. Yeah, it's it's again, it's that kind of thing. I think a lot of people kind of work their story backwards anymore. Mm-hmm. That we need a main villain, so he's the villain. We come up with how he does what he does and how that's going to look. And then that's usually plenty, unless we're going to make that villain's backstory a thing. Which I think since the 2000s is a really bad habit we've gotten into. Giving villains deep backstories? Yeah, but mostly like after the fact. Retroactively, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like I didn't need to see Darth Vader as a five-year-old kid. Yeah, yeah. Like that's... That's sort of, because it's the idea too, mm-hmm. and this is where 
the idea of an evil overlord is kind of shorthand cheating when you make a setting. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize is a, a well-received character, like, say, Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. In the original movies, he, he wasn't really a deep character. Mm-hmm. But there was a fair amount of craftsmanship that went into him. Mm-hmm. Like, visually, presentation, the kind of stuff that he does in the story. It, it, it paints him a certain way. Right. And I think when you start doing retroactive backstories and that, mm-hmm. a lot of times it gets screwed up because uh, the person doing it mm-hmm. isn't the same person, either because they're literally not, or because 20 years later you've you've changed. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And to go back and try to squeeze something, and like I said, seeing Darth Vader is kind of like a smackably precocious five-year-old. Mm-hmm kind of take some way and seeing him as 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 like like a whiny teenager mm-hmm. like it really doesn't fit it it rubs wrong against the con- concept of vader we had before yeah yeah exactly actually in in their defense um the clone wars tv series version of uh teenage you know anakin there is actually much better like much much better yeah, he was because again, I think he got the chance to spread the character out more. Exactly. Yeah, I think, that, and I think they did actually. They didn't do a great job with his transformation to Vader in the Clone Wars cartoon, but then again, we never got to see the end of it because the the show got canceled at a certain point. Although, yeah. actually, it will be back for Disney Plus. They're apparently planning to do at least to do at least the rest of the final season that was planned but was never actually produced. Mm-hmm. They're actually finishing it, and who knows, maybe doing more. For Disney Plus, just to get more Star Wars fans to desperately come back because most of them have wandered off and don't give a shit anymore after the last couple movies. Um, yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so I guess it's one of those things. I guess when – another thing that kills uh, evil overlord type characters for me is the idea that, that – like I said, there's – because that they sin tend to stand on their own like when i see an evil overlord i generally see a character or should i say a writer a creator who often doesn't really understand how power works like right. they don't understand how politics work and how power works um if you want to see a really beautiful explanation of why this is this is kind of so wrong go and watch uh there's a video by sgp or is sgpc gray on I'll link to it in the show notes called Rules for Rulers. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever seen it, Don? Do you know oh, what is I'm that? The, is that the one I will give my evil minions transparent face plates on their helmets? Oh no 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 no! That's the okay. that's the that's the evil overlord rules. That's a whole other thing we can talk about. Uh, the rules for <laughs> evil overlords. That's actually pretty entertaining too. Um, mm. But no no no! This is actually a uh, video about how power. And government actually work. It's about twenty minutes right. long, and the uh, the really condensed version of it is is as he says at the beginning: no man is an island, and no ruler can rule alone. Mm-hmm. Rulers are actually the result of, like I said earlier, I believe um, they are the result of a system. They ha- they and they exist within a system of some kind. Even a dictator can't actually rule alone because mm-hmm. a country is way too big for them to do that. They need allies, they need underlings, they need whatever what the video refers to as the keys to power. 
or basically they need people underneath them who then can control people underneath them and underneath them and basically the rest of the pyramid. You can't have right. the evil overlord and then a whole bunch of peasants, like as is, as you often see, and maybe a few lieutenants in between. It doesn't work. No government has ever worked that way in the history of mankind. It literally doesn't work. You need all those levels of middle management to make the system work. And it doesn't matter what kind of uh, governmental system we're talking about or corporate system for that matter. Sometimes with corporate, you can get away with slightly different versions of them. But there still needs to be these characters that are characters, people that are basically the ones who are supporting the person in power. And the moment they think that the person in power isn't suitable, they'll start looking for replacements. Yeah, there's catches to that, though, because if I have the Serpent Crown or the Infinity Gauntlet, I kind of do a lot away with a lot of middle management. No, even they, even they need it. Because after all, I mean, I suppose, yes, if they don't need any other people, but you still need someone to manage the finances. You still need someone to manage uh, infrastructure and roads. You still need someone to deal with the people. You still need someone to be the general of your army, even if you're the general of your own army. There are still... Lots and lots of uh, management positions you need filled in any system. It it depends. Like, I think... It's just I too think, much for any one dude to do, unless, again, they're really, really superhuman. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, because I think... I, I think it... You're right, but you're missing a tiny part of the formula. Okay. And that is... What you're kind of hitting at is... Nobody really sits down and thinks about the mechanics mm -hmm. of the bad guy's organization. Mm, true. Because there's ways around it. Like, if, if I have, like, you know, all... Actually, no, you're wrong. There was one person who did. What? The Simpsons. Okay. The Simpsons did. But anyway. Oh, yeah. That's, but but if I've got, like, all cosmic power, I can sit there and go, hmm, in the eighth galaxy, little Billy is thinking poorly of me. <laughs> and now he's dust. <laughs> I can, can do that. That's true. Like, that's very true. If you're if you're talking like um certain kind of like high tech or high magic settings, mm -hmm. there's stuff that can happen. Mm -hmm. There's different things that I can do to to cause problems. You see that all the time in like science fiction. Mm -hmm. The oogly booglians have taken control of all of our computers, and our own ships are fighting us. Yeah, you can do shit like that and not have to. But it's it's the kind of thing that you got to kind of sit down and think about, like how how does this work? Well, yes, and you can do that short term, but I mean long term, you do need um, you need infrastructure, like to any kind of government system or that requires infrastructure. Taking over temporarily is not with a group of incredible tough people or superheroes. It's not actually that tough, but they are eventually going to need someone someone to help support them. And to keep to help keep them in power. That's the thing. Power is one of those things that requires other people to maintain. You're right. To yeah. seize it doesn't always require other people. Well, I mean, if you're superhuman, it, but if you're not, it definitely does. But to to maintain it does require a whole apparatus and a whole organization and everything else. Um, and also, evil overlords you know, should be thinking about the future. Like, okay, so what's your end goal? Well, I have power. Okay, well, what's your end goal? I want power. Okay, well, what's your end goal? Uh, power. <laughs> uh, okay, I think, we, I think we've got an echo in here. Um, and this, is, this again, is one of my problems with evil overlords. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting power. Many people do, but okay, what's your end goal with that power? Like, where are you trying to go with this? 
And yeah. that's, again, something that no one thinks about. It's like, well, what's your purpose? Is If it's to live forever, okay, that's a reasonable goal. If it's uh, Or some form of literal or figurative immortality, okay, fine, no problem there. If it's you want to make sure that your country, you know, never get stomped on again by all its enemies. Okay, that's that's pretty reasonable that you want to conquer other countries to create... Like, a uh, very common one, I know it's for Japanese evil overlords, is peace. Ironically mm. enough, a lot of them want to stop war. They're doing it by basically taking over, but okay, that's pretty reasonable. And then <laughs> once they get in, their usual job is, well, you know, keeping everyone, quote-unquote, peaceful is not all that easy. <laughs> and so they yeah. that usually becomes their goal is just maintenance at that point. Okay, I can live with that. That's actually not stupid. That's actually perfectly reasonable. That's something that real rulers have had to deal with throughout history. It's like once you create an empire, maintaining it is a whole other story. That's totally okay. But just power for power's sake is not really a motivation. It's a, a just a generic stand-in for motivation. Yeah, and you can usually get away with that because the problem with most stories is as soon as the bad guy either decisively wins or decisively loses, your story is over. Well, yes, because – well, that's a, let's talk about this though. The, the other thing that evil overlords have to be um, – and I remember why I started thinking about this a week or so ago. Someone actually asked in a uh, Reddit forum, they actually asked, can you write a fantasy story without an evil overlord, without a big bad? Mm-hmm. Can you do it? And um, the answer, which I don't think anyone read because the th- it was already a day after the thread had been spawned. So everyone basically had already said their piece and everything like that was the answer is yes, because mm-hmm. in a story, evil overlords, big bad guys, whatever you want to call them, tend to structurally represent the end of the story. That literally mm-hmm. is their job. They're a physical manifestation of the story's end. They're the final thing that the main character needs to overcome in order to end the story. Like when they're done, it was going back to my reset button problem earlier. Um, when that person, when you punch that guy in the face, he goes, ow, he falls over and all the bad stuff in the world apparently just stops. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of childish and stupid, but okay, whatever. But the point, But the point is functionally, they, like any villain in a story, main villain anyway, are there to represent the end of the story. And you could, in theory, replace them with some other goal or some other accomplishment. Like, for example, yeah. let's say that our fantasy hero's um, goal is to wipe out cholera in his setting, which is something I've never seen done, but you could do it. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and so the main character has basically spent the whole story building up a medical system and uh, finding vaccines and finding ways to uh, get the medicine to the to the people and everything, despite resistance from you know uh, local nobles and people who who are like anti vaxxers and stuff and think that you know this vaccine is going to kill them all and it's the work it's the work of the devil or the devil's water or whatever. And mm-hmm. anyway, at the end of the story, the main at the end of the story, cholera is effectively wiped out, and the heroes won. No evil overlord, no main bad guy, none of that stuff. Just the the final dramatic event is like the last person is given the vaccine or whatever for cholera. And it's like, yep, cholera is done. Or they're told, nope, the cholera rate has gone down to zero. We've won. And everyone's like, yay! And we have this scene of everyone cheering and the dramatic music plays or whatever. And the story is over. You, that's perfectly fine. You can do fantasy stories like that. Yeah. And you can do all kinds of ones that have other goals and other directions. 
it doesn't always have to be about our plucky group of fucking young heroes market <laughs> who are gaining magical powers as they march off to fight and bring down the evil overlord that is the source of all evil and that if only he was gone or she was gone the kingdom would be unicorns and rainbows and everything else <laughs> which is what drives me freaking batty right ah and so that's you know that's that's why i hate evil overlords at least fantasy evil overlords i'm I'm more tolerant of supervillains because i get it supervillains are mm. are there to fight superheroes and superheroes need a big threat and everything to fight and that's totally okay i get that part that's fine um mm. again they still tend to be kind of one-dimensional i mean they really are thanos sorry dark side dark side's even worse than thanos it's like oh i want the mm. anti-life equation at least thanos wanted to get laid um in the original in comics Oh, well, yeah. the only problem was he wanted to get laid by death, which is a little bit messed up. But whatever. Anyway, the point is, that, okay, that's – I'm not sure about your choice of women, dude. But okay, if you're, <laughs> if, um, if, if your goal he is to get laid, I can, I can totally get that. Guys <laughs> out there, we get that. It's okay. I mean that's pretty primal. Many women get that too. Um, and so, yeah, no, that's pretty primal. Dark side is I want to find the anti-life equation and end all life in the universe. Why? Oh, just because I'm bored or something. I don't know. I, I never got he, dark side really. Well, it's because he's evil. You know what the irony is? Mm. It's Thanos is a ripoff of dark side. Well, they're both created by the same dude, if I remember right. I, I think. Yeah. Are they? I think they no, are. No, they're, they're not. Um, the new gods were Jack Kirby. Right. The new... The new gods were Jack Kirby, but the uh, what is the Marvel, the Eternals, and all that are also Jack oh, Kirby. Yeah, but Thanos isn't one of the Eternals. Thanos is oh, I forget what they're called. They're from Titan. Yeah, they're not oh, called for- Titans. Uh they're obviously they're they're called. Okay, fine, I'll look it up because he's part of Captain, the original Captain Marvel. Yeah, and he, he, what ended? Yeah. What ended up happening if I it was Roy Thomas that made uh Thanos as I recall and he basically was Jim doing, Starlin. Jim Starlin, Starlin yeah. and Mike Frederick. Doing the yeah, Starlin was doing his riff on the new gods and the comment that he got from the chief editor at the time was, Well, if you're gonna rip them off, why don't you rip off the good one? And that's why Thanos is Dark Side. Yes, because if I remember when he very first appears, he's not exactly Darkseid. He's actually just kind of another dude. And then they turn him into Darkseid fairly quickly, if I remember right. Kind of, yep. He first Dark- appears in Invincible Iron Man number 55. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's he's a villain who says, bah. And then mm. he becomes more Darkseid. And what's ironic is that, yeah, Thanos in the comic is in love with Death, who's portrayed as your typical skeleton in a robe. It would be interesting to see... They really should switch. Like, Thanos should be the DC villain, because mm. in DC, death is a hot goth chick. Oh, that's true. And and I could see in Marvel wanting to, like, uh, wanting to get the anti-life equation, because, like, another fucking mutant? Really? Okay, <laughs> we're, we're putting an end to this. So they should swap universes. They really should. By the way, Thanos is a deviant. The, there are two groups. Oh, There's the yeah. Eternals and the Deviants. But the Deviant, it, he's one of the ones that lived on Titan. Yes, and they were but kinda... the, the Eternals, are, they're still considered Eternals. They're actually okay, still yeah. considered Eternals. And the Deviants are also on Titan, too, or something like that. Yeah. No, the Deviants went to Titan. Oh, because I forget. It, it got fucked up in the 80s. They, they mixed it all in. Right. Because the Eternals was originally not part of the proper Marvel continuity. Okay. Like, when you re- it was originally done, Kirby wanted to do his own thing. And it mm-hmm. wasn't technically 
part of the Marvel Universe. But then in the early 80s, they did like uh, they appear in Iron Man, mm-hmm. which makes them part of the Marvel Universe. And what the idea was is the Celestials, the big cosmic space gods, experimented on Earth and they made humans, Eternals, which are kind of like the perfect form of human, and Deviants, which are kind of like the 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 quintessential evil form of human that they're all related and then mm-hmm. the 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 group on titan that thanos is part of ah oh, they got a name i can't remember because eros is one of them too eros yeah, eros, is like thanos. star fox as he's called he, he's like thanos's cousin or something there there's a story to that that kind of got retconned in mm-hmm. uh, be, because what you find out later on is that the scrolls mm-hmm. are the deviant strain of another race that the celestials screwed around with like centuries ago. Right. That's why they have their weird powers. Yeah, that's that's why they can shape change. So that seems to be what evil people do. They change. Oh, there they are. They were originally called Titanians. They're actually okay. called Titanians, created by Jim Strat. And they're also the Uranians, created by Stan Lee. <laughs> and they were both later <clears throat> retconned into being Eternals. Yeah. Yeah, so they originally were there I like the Titan is obviously the Titan the moon of Saturn that we're referring to, mm-hmm. not it's not that's the difference again between in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Titan is actually a planet way out somewhere in the galaxy. Whereas this Titan, if I remember right, is Titan in our solar system. It is the moon yeah. of Titan, if I remember right. Yeah. And same your moon of Uranus. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I can't I can't say that with a straight face. <laughs> That is great. <laughs> uh, the human-like but. inhabitants of the planet Uranus, who became hosts <laughs> and became hosts and mentors of Marvel Boy, providing with technology which he later used to become a superhero. Yeah, and I think they renamed him Quasar at one point because Marvel Boy doesn't sound really. Plus, he's like thirty. So, like, how long mm. are you gonna be Marvel Boy? You're you're fucking thirty. Yeah, apparently he appeared in 1950. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, there there was a Marvel boy in the fifties. Yeah, uh, he he wasn't exactly the same one. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly, he was he was a guy who his mom and dad were like like gods, and they gave him powers, and then he came to Earth and right. he'd ride lightning and beat guys up because it was the fifties. That's what you did, right? Okay, well, yeah, that's that's what you did back then. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Okay, sorry. Hmm. Because there's a weird thing when you were talking that there's another thing that the evil overlord used to do that they don't anymore. Mm-hmm. If you go back to the pulp era, pulp stories were full of lost kingdoms where there's like an evil king or queen that our hero showing up disrupted their firmly established society. Yeah, but that's perfectly reasonable because it's a, you're, you know one character entering another society, right? Mm-hmm. So I've never had a problem with that because again... There's a society, this character is disrupting it. It's perfectly reasonable why the, the person in charge doesn't like this character and wants them out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, and that used to be the idea, like that goes back to your old school Ming the Merciless, that mm-hmm. it wasn't that they were just evil because evil, it was they were such selfish and narcissistic beings that they felt their entire kingdom existed only to serve them. And then mm-hmm. this square jawed blonde arsehole guy shows up and messes that all up on you. Exactly. Disrupts the system of power. And 
And you look at that and go, well, okay, there's a very good reason why Ming's acting the way he is. He has perfectly reasonable motivations. Yes, he's a mustache-twirling mm. villain, but he's <laughs> still got re somewhat reasonable motivations for doing what he's doing. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, and we really got to come up with a term for, mm -hmm. that in the beginning when you started seeing these kind of characters mm -hmm. in, in like the modern time, there really was kind of a weird, again, not deep, but there was an ecology to it. Right. There was, you, you could take their motivation to something reasonable, mm -hmm. you know, basically oh for Homer. Okay. Well, I can understand that. I yeah, probably yeah. do the same thing too. And then there, there was a process by which this would happen, that the hero would come in and disrupt their plan or in their like, desire to take over the world to finish their immortality experiment or get re revenge was something once i rule the science council i will kick dr bob out for laughing at me there was if not you know a, a deep meaningful explanation there was a reason that you mm. could follow and go yeah okay that's why he's doing it but then over the years, it became the thing that you did, and it becomes a trope, and then that meaning gets lost, and everybody just does it to the point that if you don't do it, people feel there's something missing. Yeah, yeah, because they feel, well, that's the way it's always done, and this is this is what I'm here for, to get that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's just become such a standard, and I guess the fact that I've seen places where that isn't the standard is actually what's kind of thrown me off. It's like, oh, wow, I've seen the potential where they're do we don't have to be doing it this way. And, mm -hmm. but this is the way we're doing it. And this is the way we're, we keep doing it. And it just doesn't stop because everyone just keeps doing it that way. I mean, like I said, there has been some variation, like, you know, Game of Thrones decided to at least slightly do something different. I'll give them points on that or Martin yeah. points on that. And I'm sure there's probably a couple other books that don't necessarily have a direct evil overlord in them, or at least maybe they have ones that are a little more um, reasonable, I guess you could say. Um, another evil overlord mm -hmm. trope, actually I wanted to mention that, that drives me nuts, is the Horde. <laughs> like the fact that the evil overlord, especially if it's the invading evil overlord, who has the horde of mindless, you know, soldiers, demons, whatever, who, right. uh, you know, march through and just destroy everything. And, the, oh, my God, it's the evil horde from Hordeland who are here to destroy everything. <laughs> right. um, like, I know where that comes from, actually. I literally know where that comes from and where it's part of our psychology. The answer is Genghis Khan. Okay. It's, there's Genghis Khan and the Mongols because it really happened. We really had our, you know, our great, quote unquote, evil overlord from the east with his great, you know, invading army showed up and went over the Eurasian continent like a lawnmower, basically wiping everything out. And this happened about 800 years ago, but it's within enough oral and generational memories, so to speak, not within, I guess, generation memory, but within oral, mem within oral memory and within the memory of our culture and everything like that, that we, it's gotten ingrained. Like if you right. if you think about it, Sauron is just Genghis Khan. That's all he is. The great invader from the east who's showing up with an army that's going to destroy our way of life and wipe everything out in its path and turn the earth into a living hell. Yeah, that's Genghis right. Khan. Huh. And, and then it becomes a trope. Hmm? And then it becomes a trope. It just becomes a trope, yeah. And pretty much everything after Genghis Khan. Oh, I remember reading about this. Where actually, uh, at least some people say that, uh, so it was Genghis Khan for a while, 
And then for a little while, it became, at least for Europeans, it became Napoleon. Because Napoleon wow. became the guy who basically con almost conquered the whole land. And he became the evil overlord of choice if you were a Victorian or part of the industrial age. And then Hitler. Hitler became yeah. the evil overlord of choice for a while there since the 1940s. He's the evil overlord we refer to. Um, Always Hitler. Yeah. And I think actually I think the Kaiser was in – it was there in between as well. Like Kaiser Yeah, Wilhelm. but I, I – I think Hitler kind of outshadowed him. <laughs> yep. But as far as fantasy goes, because remember, we're not talking modern age, Genghis Khan. Genghis yeah, Khan is that. the man, literally, or was. <laughs> uh, he was the original OG overlord who did it for real <laughs> and only lost because of liver disease. Mm -hmm. Well, liver disease and uh, some unfortunate experiences of his youth. Um, um, so... The liver disease comes from all the Twinkies. Yeah, well, <laughs> Twinkies you know are that old, right? What? Well, I was going to say, you know what that's from. No, actually, I don't. You don't remember Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Oh, Here they gave him... Khan won a Twinkie, and that's how they lure him into the phone booth. Right. <laughs> I've forgotten about that. Yes. Yes, it's been a while. I'll have to watch that again sometime. <laughs> well, they're doing a three, so I should probably go back and watch the originals at some point. Actually, I have a funny right. feeling I'll probably find them funnier now than I did back then. It's possible, yeah. Because <laughs> uh, I'll appreciate more of the jokes and more of the layered humor and such. But anyway, um, actually, one of the very few time travel movies that, that, a, does, that doesn't have a reset button. Mm -hmm. Bill and Ted's excellent. Bill and Ted? Yeah. Well, because it's, it's, they actually, it does, but they pressed it before the movie started. Yeah. We have to remember to do this. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But the thing is, is that, you know, they they don't really need to. They just go back and they return all the guys to history. And well, anyway, go go watch oh. it, folks, if you haven't. But the point is, is that it doesn't really have a reset, but not in the yeah. just press this button and, and this timeline gets erased and everything goes back to the happy days. Yeah. Uh, with Fonzie and uh, Richie Cunningham and everything. It's like, oh, man, it was just a dream. Well, um, well no, that's that was because they couldn't find their way back because cupcake couldn't work her flying saucer properly oh my god you're right i forgot about that <laughs> i forgot about that the time traveling happy friends uh cartoon yeah i think everybody has where fonzie has a talking dog named mr cool yep yep because everybody did at that point you had to well, yeah, uh, happy day. That's from the happy days. Really, really jump, jump the shark. Actually, that's literally after the jump, the sh jump the shark moment. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's it's one of those things nobody remembers exactly. I, I, I think except me. <laughs> I remember it because of the uh, the ads in old comic books. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm not even sure if I've ever seen it. I think I saw it as a kid, maybe, mm. but I'm. I think I think I did, but I definitely remember it from from I can I can remember the ads from the comic books, right? So anyway, so oddly yeah, they oddly so enough, evil evil hordes also are boring. <laughs> don't don't write them. I mean, invading armies are fine. That's okay, mm -hmm. but make them an invading arm, not an evil horde. Oh, I mean, yeah, but don't. Again, don't. More, more faceless minions for our heroes to mow down, so that the <laughs> um. So that uh, nobody has to think about morality or anything like that. Right. Well, and don't forget the evil overlord thing also creates another much hated trope. Oh, which one? The, you are the chosen one. 
Oh, you're right. I hadn't really thought about that. But you're right. They go hand in hand, don't they? Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. Um, maybe that's why evil overlords never seem to go away. Because we cannot get enough of Chosen One tropes. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> everyone loves the Chosen One trope. Because especially when you're 12, you want to imagine you are the Chosen One. And that you will get powers and everything. And unfortunately, many people keep imagining that until they're 50, 60. And sometimes, <laughs> sometimes in their, into their 90s. Uh, right. Um, but yes, you're right. You were the chosen one. It's like, no, we don't need any more chosen ones, thanks. That's, you know, just uh, join the line out back. We've got too many chosen <laughs> ones as it is. We don't need any more. So that's well, a line from something. I can't remember what, but anyway. It's it's also the same problem that the evil overlord represents sloppy writing because they're usually the designated villain who's just here to be the designated villain. Mm-hmm. Whereas the chosen one is typically just the designated hero who's here to be the designated, designated hero. hero. Yeah, no, no, you're 100% right. I completely, totally, 100% agree with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you're right. If you're the chosen one, you are just the designated hero. Congratulations. Yeah. So why should we care? You're the designated hero. Yeah, and it's that idea that it is your destiny to defeat that. Well, if it's your destiny, why the hell am I bothering watching the story? I know how this is going to end. Well, this is exactly right. I mean, you could make an argument, though. We know how all these stories are going to end. I mean, we know how almost all stories end because almost, not all, but almost all stories have some variation of a happy ending where the good, where good wins, evil is defeated, generally speaking, and hmm. uh, all is right with the world because it makes the audience feel happy at the end. If they don't get it, they get really um upset true and so really this is something i always tell my writing students stories are not about the ending they're not about how it ends exactly they're about how you get there yeah and i guess you could say how everything ties in with the ending you need an ending that's logical and makes sense you don't need a surprise amazing twist ending that's going to blow everyone's minds because it's not. Everyone knows how it's going to end before they started, before they paid the money to watch it. Yeah. We all know how it's going to end. No, there's no, there's no surprise here. Sure, a few characters might die here or there, but generally speaking, we know how it's going to end because that's how it pretty much has to end. Kind of. I think, again, it's, it's, especially in the last 15 or 20 years, we've kind of really really got baked into certain tropes and if you don't do that in your story people really get upset you you can mm. circumvent them there's ways around it but you have to know you're going to do it to begin with mm-hmm. um case in point i i always think of of uh breaking bad mm-hmm. and spoiler alert you know walter white can't survive the series because he he commits like one of the few crimes in entertainment that you can never be forgiven. Because he what? No, you can murder all the people you want. But if you're a drug dealer or a kid diddler, yeah, you can never be reformed in entertainment. So he's got to die. And they set that up from the very beginning because the whole premise is he's he's got terminal cancer. He's going mm-hmm. to die anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's why he turns to a life of crime and he gets more involved. Right, yeah. So you can have that unhappy ending. But you can see in a story like that, they very cleverly and subliminally set this up ahead of time. Oh, you have to. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, and 
stories like that or Overlord, which I mentioned earlier, though it's very different in that where the vil- where the villain is the main character is a little bit different. I would argue Usually, sometimes. I'm gonna say a lot of times it's not. Um because well I would say it's different because in those cases, yes, what you're basically watching is usually a tragedy. You're watching the downfall of that character. Yeah. Uh Overlord the Japanese one is actually a little bit different, but that's uh, but uh, who knows? Maybe it will turn out that way. We don't know yet. It's still it's still ongoing. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, their tragedies you know, they're about this character who eventually had his moment, and usually at some point near the end, always has his chance to walk away from it all, but turns around and decides to know, still go on with being selfish or you know whatever's wrong with him he gives in he gives into his weakness his selfishness whatever and that's what dooms him and then eventually so that's why he dies he is given a chance to redeem himself he just never does it right or rarely does it anyway um again breaking bad spoiler that happens in breaking bad too he he does actually actually several points where in breaking bad where he actually can redeem himself but he doesn't he in the end he chooses not to yeah. So he he gets in Breaking Bad. He kind of gets addicted to the power. Yeah. He, he the power, the influence. You know, the idea that he means something in the world, like that he he has control of his life and other people's lives and things like that. He gets all. He starts to realize he gets off on it. And yeah, yeah, that pretty much dooms him because that you know that kind of thing is just not going to last. Oh, actually, sometimes you do get stories though from the villain's point of view where the villain is we're just. From the villain's point of view, you're watching them be evil, and then the hero basically, you know, delivers justice. That's another take mm-hmm. we'll get sometimes. Yeah, kind of. Like, I'm thinking two examples that kind of work the other way mm-hmm. would be a show like Dexter, mm-hmm. where everybody's rooting for Dexter, even though he's like an axe murderer, because he's killing other axe murders and... Kill, killing people. That's a Hannibal Lecter thing. Like everybody sides with Lecter. Yeah. Well, he's their protagonist. They're not heroes. They're protagonists where they're the main character of the story that we're supposed to root for, but they're not actually a hero. Well, yes and no. Like that's the, 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 the thing with they're doing certain things that it's cool to do. Like it's, it's the same thing. If you take, um, if you take, Charles Bronson from any Charles Bronson movie, pretty much like any of the death wishes. Mm-hmm. He's no different from Dexter, but he's painted as a straight up hero. Whereas Dexter's painted as kind of a villain. Cause he's an ax murderer and that's a designated villain career, mm-hmm. but he's really not doing anything different from Bronson. Right. But we perceive them totally different. But they never, like I said, they never cross that line into one of the two crimes that denotes you as totally evil now and forever. Right. By the way, well, it's not just two. I mean, there's also kid killer. If you kill a kid or or a dog, it, it, that, it that, depends. that qualifies if, too. If the kid or the dog is evil, then it's okay. Yes, that's true. But most of the time, if you kill if you kill a kid, you'll, they'll, you're, you're, the audience is not going to forgive you. That's going to be really hard. Um, the younglings yeah. died and that's just the way it's going to be. Well, yeah. Cause when you kill the kid, I think most people assume you diddled them first too. So, 
That seems to kind of be the package deal, as it were. Uh, okay, maybe. All right. Okay, that's just say. I'm just just saying that's how it's usually portrayed. That's how it's in, per- in the- okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. It often is. Yeah, they're well, just to add, just to make them even more reprehensible. Yeah, they often do. That. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Yeah. Um, okay. But in in the Bronson case, a lot of it's context, right? I mean, Bronson was a hero because Bronson represented uh, the, you know, the people taking back. It's a power fantasy of taking back control of the streets because the streets of New York, where that character was supposed to be living in in that time, were kind of a hellhole at that point. That was New York's, you know, dark days, basically. Mm-hmm. And so Bronson represented people taking back and bringing justice, vigilante justice to the streets. Whereas Dexter is living in what Miami or something like that and living the high life basically. And in his spare time, he hunts down other serial killers and kills them. But it's, it's still that, that fantasy of, of, you know, you may be the villain, but you're taking down the bigger villain. Exactly. Oh yeah. Um, Another example. Yeah. Another example, I think that kind of, is less relative but still fits the niche oddly was the sopranos yes where tony soprano was clearly the villain but we rooted for him because he was like the 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 he 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 was it was basically he's fred flintstone with a harder job is what he was yeah yeah he was that's a good way to describe him yeah and it's that idea that because if you make him take down somebody who's theoretically a worse villain than him then that like we said at the beginning of this, everybody feels an absolute you're good or evil. Well, if mm-hmm. you take down somebody more evil, that makes you technically good, even if you're still evil. So now we can root for you. Exactly. Yep. That's true. Whereas, of course, in Asia, they have the opposite take, or not the opposite exactly, but a slightly different take, where everyone is part of um, a, a system. It doesn't matter what mm-hmm. system that is. It can be, you know, the cycle of reincarnation. It can be the cosmic system. It can be, you know, the you know social order, whatever. We are part of the system. You know, we are born as part of a network of people. We're connected to everyone else. Even evil people are. And so mm-hmm. there are evil things, but evil things in Asian culture tend to be more disruptive. They are things that try to disrupt the system or break the system or not are... Uh, trying to uh, go against uh, the the morals of heaven, whatever, take your pick. Yeah. And so as an end result, they have to be stopped. But yeah. they can actually still be useful. I mean, actually, here, I'll give you a good example, actually. The Monkey King. Mm-hmm. You ever read Monkey King or watch the old TV show Monkey or Journey to the West, whatever? The Monkey King is an interesting story because the... The basic story is this, is that there's a monk named Triptaka who basically gets sent off on a journey through demon-infested lands to go off and retrieve some Buddhist sutra. Okay, fine. That's the main story. The Monkey King is not the main character. Triptaka is. But they, but because Triptaka is going into dangerous lands, Triptaka is basically given a bodyguard. That's the Monkey King. Mm-hmm. The Monkey King is actually a villain. The Monkey King, they make, they make it very, very clear that the Monkey King is an incredibly capricious, destructive... He's not evil, but he's more selfish and destructive force. And yeah. he's basically uh, been imprisoned. And they said, well, you know, we've got this imprisoned guy. We'll give you the this magic collar that crown, actually, that can, lets you control him and punish him if he does bad stuff. And we're going stick, to you know, stick him with you as the bodyguard. Triptak is like, okay. And then Tritaki even picks up two more characters that are both, one of them is a man-eating demon, 
and one of the one of them is a man-eating swamp monster, and the other one is a pig monster, and mm. they're they're demons, they're they're creature, they're they're not good, but they're basically being harnessed by uh, this good character, this pure purely good character. And in a way, they're reformed as the story goes on. That's kind of what's happening is they're they're reformed by hanging out with this good person, but they're also being put to good use. Like, so the idea there is, is that nothing is truly good or evil. It would kind of be like, imagine this story about Jesus crossing the desert. And so basically God says, you know, Satan, you should hang out with Jesus for a while and keep him safe. And he gives Jesus a button so they can like go zap G, zap, zap Satan whenever Satan gets out of line, and so Satan is stuck wandering across the desert with Jesus, you know, and and occasionally beats up other stuff. That's the Monkey King, basically, and that would never happen in Western philosophy because you know Jesus could never <laughs> spend time with Satan. That's literally antithetical to the whole idea. Well, he did, but they kind of. Well, oh, you're right. There was that kind of there, there was, was like kind of argument. something, but it wasn't quite like that. Yeah, it wasn't like they were like going out to smash evil or together. Or anything. Although <laughs> I, I, I think I'd watch that if that was like a TV show. <laughs> well, that's and the Japanese have done that a whole bunch of times. They've done different variations, but it's all the Monkey King ultimately. There's one called Ushio and Tora. There's been a bunch yeah. of different takes on it over the years, um, and it's almost always these characters that are chaotic characters being harnessed by a good character to um mm-hmm. but you again you've got that idea that a person is not absolutely good or evil they're they can be selfish they can be self-centered but it's very rare to have characters that are truly evil yeah or at least it was it's more common now you'll see that more in asian stuff now you'll see more characters that are pure evil but they're getting it from the west for the most part yeah. um you know it's that shorthand is linked in whereas if you look at older stuff, it's almost always that no, the bad guys are just another. They're just another king or another guy in power. Or even if they're a demon lord, they're just king of the demon people. Like they're just mm-hmm. people who look different than us and maybe have magic powers. And maybe I mean, anyway. So there's that idea that <laughs> we are all part of. We're all connected to each other. Whereas in Western stuff, we're not. And I think that's one of the other things that creates the evil overlord and and the chosen hero. I think both of those are the result of that, as you said, where we've we've got this these freestanding evil characters that just exist to be evil because they're evil and because they want power because they're e- why because they're evil and that's all that's what they are. But they and oddly enough, most of them don't really do that much in the way that's actually evil. Yeah, um, they might send their horde to destroy stuff, I guess. So here's a question then, uh, to, to try to finish on a more positive note, not just be bashing. So <laughs> if there are people who are writers and they're listening to us and they're thinking, okay, well, I don't it, to avoid the evil overlord trope. How should I do it? What would your what would your advice be, to, Don? How would you say to avoid this? It's kind of kind of funny you mention that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I think the biggest thing if you're gonna write an evil overlord is there should be a reason why they're doing what they're doing, and that's mm-hmm. probably going to tie into your setting, so try to have an actual setting. I agree. No, no. Mm-hmm. I, that, that would probably be my advice, too, is that if the problem is freestanding evil overlords, because they, like mm-hmm. a freestanding tree in the middle of a desert, they tend to fall over uh, when something blows on them. Um, no, your evil overlord needs to actually be part of the setting and part of the world that the character lives in. And they need to, mm-hmm. in some ways, be a reflection of that world as well. 
I think that's something yeah. that people often forget that everyone who's not your character and technically your characters too, main characters too, are reflections of the world in which they live in. Hmm. And they're connected to that world in different ways. And this includes your evil overlord, your main bad guys, your main opponents, whatever you want to call them. They're big bad. They should really be a product of that world and they should reflect that world and the people and the story that's happening within it. I mean, they don't, you don't have to work out every single last detail of your story to have a quote unquote, not a, you know, a, a fake evil overlord or cardboard cutout evil overlord. Just have one, as you said, that has actual motivations and is connected with the setting and it's that that pretty much does the job. Yeah, and it it doesn't have to. Again, it doesn't have to be deep. Like if if they're just the complete selfish person who thinks the rest of the universe exists to serve them, that's fine. But you have to do something that demonstrates that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's I think I can think of three examples of this sort of thing. Okay, please do. That kind of tie in because. It's that idea, like what you're getting at. Once the evil overlord wins, what do they plan on doing? Mm-hmm. Nobody thinks of that. Like again, they always want to take over to take over because whatever. Um, and this kind of puts me in mind. There's another evil overlord trope that came about like during our lifetime mm-hmm. that we haven't really come up against yet. Oh, which one? And it sort of ties in, it's the idea of the uh, evil lieutenant who's incompetent and trying to overthrow the overlord. Right, well that's the, uh, yeah, that's the one from Starscream. the cartoon, Starscream, yeah. Starscream. Starscream, we're all thinking Starscream. Yes, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, Starscream, yeah, Starscream, okay, if you're from our generation, Starscream, yeah. But there are other versions of him, almost all the Transformers oh clones God, had a version of them. Oh, like every cartoon did, but this is why I say... There's two other things I want to bring up to that. Because it's that idea that Starscream wants to take over. Mm -hmm. And then what? Like, he's an idiot. What's he going to do? Get beaten up by the other Decepticons is what I recall, I think, happened. Mm -hmm. I think there's two episodes where he actually takes over. One, he gets his ass handed to him by everyone else. And the other one, he gets turned to stone and dies. So make of that what you will. Yeah. But yeah, that that became a trope. And then it, it, it... it goes the other way too that you think going on Starscream. Why does Megatron keep him around? Yeah, exactly. It, it, like, why keep around someone who's going to stab you in the back the moment you stumble? Yeah, and I can see reasons. Like, again, Megatron was one of those I will rule because I'm better than you. Mm. You could see him keeping Starscream around for laughs, but we never get anything definitive that shows. That he's doing it because he thinks he's a total putz and he just likes making fun of them. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they're, they're robots. Maybe there's a glitch in his programming that Starscream has to be the... He appears to be like the second in command, too. Yes, yeah. He, well, no, that's not true. The second in command, I always thought, was Soundwave. Soundwave. Or, and well, then Shockwave as well. Yeah. Technically, it was Shockwave because he got added afterwards. And yeah. He was supposed to be... And then Soundwave would be either the, the, the third in command or just like the informant. Because mm-hmm. we never really see him commanding other than the cassettes, but he's always thinking everyone else out. Yeah, yeah. 
But yeah, we never, what is Stars? Why is he here? And and again, like you say, that became a thing. Every 80s action cartoon has the 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 sidekick trying to take over mm-hmm. for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. Um, it does come, and it's it comes from somewhere that there's an explanation that gets lost. Mm-hmm. And that was if you go back to G.I. Joe. Right. If you remember the G.I. Joe cartoon, Destro was always trying to overthrow Cobra Commander. Right. But Destro is not Starscream. Destro is actually smart. Yeah, he's smarter than Cobra Commander. But if you read the comic, mm-hmm. the comic kind of gets more... There, there's more to it than just that. But like I say, in a cartoon, you don't have the time to get into it. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes the standard because... In the comic, Cobra isn't the only evil organization. Right. If you remember, Destro's the head of Mars. Yes. Who builds experimental weapons. And that's who Cobra buys weapons from. Yeah. In, oh, that was originally supposed to be the point, is that they're actually an allied yeah. organization. He's the leader of their allied organization, a weapons developer. Yeah. And then what the idea was that the Baroness wants to ultimately rule Cobra. So she's kind of stringing Destro along mm-hmm. to try to get him to overthrow cobra commander so she can take over right and that was in the comic if you remember with uh fred seven mm-hmm. i think it was the when they thought cobra commander was dead and she gets one of the crimson guardsmen who were all named fred mm-hmm. to pretend to be cobra commander and then he becomes her figurehead and that's when they make cobra island blah blah but that's that's again one of these things we don't have a name for that there's originally kind of a good reason for it mm-hmm but then it sort of just becomes a trope and then everybody does it and then there's no reason for it anymore other than that's just what everybody does. I think the whole point of having that character, it, well, there are two reasons I can see. One would be to have conflict on the bad guy's side. Yeah. So you want someone who's always questioning the leader. And two, they end up being, actually, no, there's three. Uh, two, they end up being comic relief often. They end up being yeah. a weird kind of combo. Starscream was, but Destro really wasn't. But Starscream mm-hmm. definitely was. And most of the other versions are Starscream. They're not Destro. Um, and my third would be, they're also there to mess up the bad guy's plans. And per- yeah. and, and basically let the good guys win. They're there to help, you know, so evil, you know, backstabs itself. And as an end result, when in those situations where the good guys really are not going to be able to get out of them it themselves they get out because the bad guys like Starscream inadvertently help them. Yeah. And what's funny that you mentioned that is at the time that was a mandate that shows had to do. That was part of the pro social value thing. Mm-hmm. That's why you'll see the villains often fight amongst each other. Right. It was also the reason why, uh, can I just read something about this in the, uh, Dungeons and Dragons cartoon? Mm-hmm. You had, uh, Eric Reggie Mantle. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm that was a dick and didn't want to play along. And in the end he always did. Cause it was to teach that lesson. That cooperation is better than, you know, doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. And then that's one of the reasons I think why the, uh, the bad guys always had a star scream. And like you say, that oftentimes ended up foiling their own plan mm-hmm. because it showed that lesson. That cooperation is, is the key. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yep. It, you know, we're we're all stronger together. We should all work together, sort of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And the good guys usually, in 80s cartoons, the good guys almost never fight amongst each themselves. Like, they're usually all wor- happily working together towards the goal of, like, good stuff, whatever it is. <laughs> True. I, and I say good stuff because when you really think about it, the motivations of the good guys in 80s cartoons were usually so, or even just as thin and just as uh, shallow as the bad guys were usually, too. Like, they were usually just to stop the bad guys. That was kind of it. Yeah. I mean, technically they were protecting something, kind of, sort of. But that's kind of it. Like, they don't, they didn't usually go beyond, they're here to protect humans or something like that. Or they're protecting their kingdom or whatever. It usually doesn't go much beyond that. Yeah, that's that's true. And I think, again, that comes out of, like, say, the G.I. Joe template. Mm Mm-hmm, true. G.I. Joe was a branch of the military specifically set up to foil the plans of this evil terrorist group. Okay, it makes Determined sense. Determined to rule the but, world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then everybody just sort of copies that template. So the the good guys are always the organization that's set up to deal with the bad guy organization. Yep. Oftentimes out of nowhere. Yeah, because it's weird. Some of these good guy organizations predate the bad guy organization or they were formed... And maybe they don't know why they were formed, and then they eventually discover, oh, it was to defeat these bad guys that no one else knew about. Wait, what? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's that's one of the uh, going back to say like the the eighties cartoon thing. That was one of the ones that I liked was Centurions, mm-hmm. but you never find out who set them up, like who's paying for this. You know, that's true. Yeah, where where are they getting their equipment? Why is that woman trapped in a space station? Well, they kind of explain that one. She's just why is she up there? They they imply mm-hmm. because she she never leaves. She has a she has a the monkey. Uh, well, an orangutan technically. Oh yeah, orangutan. Yeah, that's like her her assistant slash friend. There's an episode. Where and I think we've talked about it before because it's such a weird thing where the bad guy makes a copy of her fiance, mm-hmm. who was an astronaut that he died. He got his oh, mission. Right. Was a fa- he was lost. I think you did talk about this before. Yeah, yeah. And they make a copy of him, mm-hmm. and the impression you kind of get is that she's like agoraphobic now. Oh, okay. Like there's little things if you watch the episode that she just does not leave that st- and she's perfectly content there. But when you find out about this great tragedy in her life, you could kind of get that impression that mm. she just doesn't want to deal with people anymore. Now she she sequestered herself up there. Yeah, she's hiding up there. And that's why she's got an orangutan, not another human as her companion. Yeah, and a dog because sometimes she'll beam the dog. But the dog belongs to uh, Jake Rockwell. Yep. He does. And the dog has a and he has a power suit too. Exactly, yeah. The dog has. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. I I do remember that. I actually watched Centurions. I watched uh, most of it, um, mm-hmm. but again, you know, Doc uh, Doc Terror and Hacker, if I remember right, I think was his sidekick. Again, yep. villains who say bah. I mean, that's that's really all they want. Although, if I remember right, he did technically want to convert everyone into machines or something like that. Some very eighties goal. Yeah, there's there's another one because that Centurions was another one of them shows that was it was better than you'd think it would be because mm. it you did get the impression because th- that was something to anybody who didn't live through eighties cartoons that you notice watching them say again mm-hmm. when you're a little older and that and you, you notice things some of them were very well thought out 
it may have made it on screen in very subtle ways because the company's paying for this. Just show these characters. Mm. But some of them did have these fairly detailed story because someone working on them obviously cared. Mm-hmm. And Centurions was one because they do have... Doc Terror was... Um, yeah, he was obsessed with machines and he wanted to convert people for their own good. Because mm-hmm. there's an... He does have an origin story. I vaguely remember. I think because there's one where you find he has a daughter. Okay. I think it was. And there was something in that that you find out why it is that he got obsessed with machines. And then Hacker is just a big dumb goon who does whatever the boss says. Yeah, yeah. Including letting him experiment on him and shit. So there's that. Yeah. Well, yeah. The Centurions have an end? From what I understand, No. But it did have a story because, I, as I recall, second season there was a big thing where you find out that Atlantis is real mm-hmm. because one of kind of the things running in a few of the episodes, sort of in the background, is Atlantis is petitioning for uh, membership in whatever they call their their version of the United Nations. Oh, okay. Had they gone to Atlantis in first season, or was that a second season thing? I can't remember. Like I haven't seen it for a while. Okay. And- okay. Watching it, I don't remember the season breaks because they just rerun them all. And yeah, yeah. They're kind of a mash in my head, too. Because yeah, um, I, okay. I I, remember the uh, energy specialist guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it must have been second season because he had uh, he was dating one of the uh, the Atlantean, one of the Atlantean diplomats, I think, was one of the, the side stories. Oh, OK. And that's, I don't remember... I don't remember his his name. It was like Rex Charger or something. And yeah, he was an ener- he was an energy specialist, and his power frame was basically he was the center of a giant can- Gatling cannon. And so he was part of the second generation Centurion characters. Yeah, there were two of them. Right. Okay, that would make sense. But I can't remember their names because again, I don't remember Rex Charger. Well, sounds but... pretty like a, a good bet. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was it was something along. It was the eighties. Everybody had a name like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The only one of those shows <laughs> that I know of that technically has sort of an ending is the Bionic Six. Yeah, well, there were a few that they they kind of have endings, but even there, it's technically just a penultimate episode. You know, that's very clearly you know like like the biggest you know episode of all time. You, it's not a hundred percent an ending. It's just you know a really big finish. Yeah. The climax, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah. Yeah. And because uh, remember, a lot of these shows, again, as you said, were meant to be rerun in random order in, in uh, syndication. So they didn't want yeah. to have a true ending to any of them because they didn't know if they were going to get a second season or a third if they were hoping. Yep. Yeah. Because as I recall, there were a bunch of them too that ended uh, like in the middle of a storyline because they thought there'd be another season and then there wasn't. And then 30 years later, they finish your show in a car ad. Yeah, folks he's <laughs> talking about the dungeons and dragons cartoon um recently it down in down in brazil where apparently that that show was astoundingly popular there's like a two-minute car ad floating around the internet that many of you have probably seen that is literally basically the end of the dungeons and dragons cartoon mm-hmm. it's it's it I, I, I that's all i can say that that really is what it is it's it's the it is it is effective because you know they basically use this like Ford car or whatever to to actually escape from Dungeons and Dragons land and get home, mm-hmm. but it's all live action with real actors. It's not animated. Um, yeah. Although technically the D and D cartoon does have an actual, it has a sort of ending, 
Yeah. Um, because after that ad came out, I actually looked it up and apparently there is a unfilmed script for a sort of last ep- last episode, but it's but the catch that episode is because I because I went through it, they still don't get home. Mm-hmm. They just solve ah screw it forty year old spoilers. Um, <laughs> the villain, the super villain, the villain that goes by Avenger of the of the series, they discover that he's like been possessed by some evil energy or something like that in fact he's actually dungeon master's son and so they help they do something that actually frees him from the evil energy and he actually turns back into a normal person and it's like Mm. oh thank you you know thank you you know dungeon questers for for freeing me and everything and dungeon masters oh thanks for freeing my son and they're all happy and stuff and then that's it that's the end they, you yeah. don't actually see them go home or anything like that. So technically, it and the car ad could both work, except for the fact that I do you see Venture in the car ad. I'm trying to remember. I, th- I think you do. I yes, think you do. He, you he do. Is, you see a silhouette. He's flying on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and besides, look at the uh, unproduced script was, of course, not was of course never produced. So technically, it's not canon that either way. But neither is the car ad, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, they did it. There's there's an audio like drama version of that last episode yeah you can find it on youtube i'll link to it in the show notes but that was how a lot of the the 80s shows did it that you would beat the evil over like you said that was the end once we beat the evil overlord the story's done yeah and then if they got another season they'd introduce a new evil overlord yeah yeah and that's perfectly reasonable i mean you know again it's the whole big bad concept we were talking about earlier which okay fine but for kids cartoons i can see where rather than have to constantly come up with ideas for new bad guys it's e- it's simpler to say and eh, they're sent by the main bad guy okay all right i guess that it's a kids show you're sure if you want to do that but unfortunately when that starts leaking into m- entertainment for more mature people that's when i start having a problem well not just that but a lot of the uh even when you get like say your first ge- uh generation of cheesy 80s cartoons mm-hmm. a lot of them would take time to set up a story for the villain Yes, that's true. That something happened. There was an accident. They got possessed. Um, a black hole exploded, and then the radiation infected your like potted petunias, and they turn evil, and then that's how the bad guys happen and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Which is a sh- that's a show. That's an actual show. Yep. Yes, it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, no. No. You're right. Um, and. Oh, to give a counterpoint, since I keep bringing up Asian stuff, so the generic evil overlord in most of the like the you know Shansha, you know uh, Chinese web novel stuff, they don't have exactly evil overlords. They sometimes do, but usually they will have what are, they'll have uh, what would best be described as yeah realm bosses, where basically this is the guy you have to defeat to basically finish off in this area before you move on to the next one. Um, that's a very common thing in Asian stuff. One interesting approach in the the Chinese web novels is because they're usually about people who exist in a system where you know your how powerful you are determines your rank. So most of the yeah. quote unquote evil overlords are just guys who have basically started kingdoms or schools or whatever, and their motivation is for the most part it's to get powerful, but they're getting powerful in order to uh, basically become immortal. That's their job. They're actually after eternal life. Mm. That's that's the whole goal. And if they if they figure they can't get real eternal life because they bottleneck, they usually end up starting a school or a cult or a sect or something like that 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 basically is going to carry on their legacy when they're gone. But so again, 
all their all their activities tie back to them again being part of the system. And yeah. so even the most shallow ones are still guys who basically, well, they're they're kind of jerks basically. They're not evil. They're <laughs> just they're just kind of drunk on power. And they're so they're being jerks, but if you actually know why are they like that? Well, they're because that's the system that they belong to and they belong to this great sect and they've either never been taught discipline or they're um trying to, you know, make themselves better or rape the hero's sister, you know, whatever. Anyway, the, right. the, the point is, is that they're, they're not spontaneously coming out of nowhere. They actually do represent part of the story and part of the system that they're, that uh, they're connected with. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think, all right. I think that probably covers evil overlords um, and at least some of the tropes. Oh, one thing we didn't, we, I mentioned that I didn't cover was the evil overlords list. Um, somewhere okay. back in the listserv days, as they call it, which is back like the early 1990s, might even predate the internet. Um, there were what we'll call listservs where basically geeks could talk to each other through uh, through university computers to each other. And that was the proto-internet, the ARPANET. And then there's also, anyway, there were these things called listservs. <laughs> And a bunch of, which of course are popular by geeks, so what do they do? They talk about who's better, Kirk or Picard. Um, but besides that, they actually, someone started a list where it says, things I will do if I'm an evil overlord, which is all the mistakes that evil overlords make that cause their downfall. Like, mm -hmm. my personal favorite is the, after I have come up with a plan, I will show it to a five-year-old child, and if, they, <laughs> if, they, if that five-year-old child can see any problems with my plan, I will immediately amend them. Or change them. Right. Um, shooting is not too good for my enemies. I will kill them when I have them in my power. Um, if uh, I announce that I'm going to be marrying the hero's girlfriend, um, I will actually do it the day before the announced date. You know, things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, all the, all the <laughs> mistakes that basically evil overlords uh, make and usually end up getting them killed. And it's a really funny list. I'll link to it online. People have expanded to it over the years. I think there are literally like hundreds, maybe even a thousand entries to the darn thing <laughs> at this point. But it's it right. was one of the original uh, trope lists, basically, of all the mistakes that evil overlords make. And it, it's about dealing with their, it's about personnel management. It's about all, all these different things. Um, that usually cause <laughs> evil overlords to fail because the evil overlords have been around for a long time. And so, yeah, you know, people mm -hmm. have, have cataloged exactly all the mistakes they make. Although again, it's possible to not make any mistakes on that list and still fail because yeah, that's life. And right. after all, you're the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Any final thoughts, Don? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's one okay. classic evil overlord that I can't think of where they fit into things because they're kind of an anomaly. Okay. And I want to mention specifically Skeletor. How is Skeletor an anomaly? He has the Starscream-like uh, accomplice. He's got his uh, like uh, evil base and he wants Castle Grayskull so he can rule the universe. How is that, you know, an anomaly? See, now here's here's where, where it happened. The original story from the toys. Okay. And I know we've mentioned this before, but in case you're not familiar, Skeletor was the vanguard of an invasion mm -hmm. of these weird skeleton-headed guys. Okay, and He-Man was this caveman kind of guy who found this this the, these like leftover ancient weapons. So you get the impression that Attorney is like a post-apocalypse thing. Mm -hmm. 
And they manage to close the portal and only Skeletor gets through and he decides to continue his plans to take over on this side of the barrier. And that's why he gets all his weird mutant henchmen and that. The, the cartoon comes out and you're right, Skeletor's got the trappings of an evil overlord. Mm-hmm. But if you watch the show in that, he's more like just some guy hanging out with his weird friends who likes to show up and make trouble for you. Kind of? Because the show is aimed at little, little kids, so that yeah. blunts the, uh. the, the edge considerably. But it's still that idea that he's basically just like one step removed from like, I'll steal his homework. <laughs> the, his, his, his plans are usually really like like underachieving and, and not well thought out. Mm-hmm. And he, he, I think he's the quintessential example of once you win, what do you do? Right. And I, th- I think even as kids, he kind of occupied that nebulous world where, again, he's he's more Reggie Mantle than Cobra Commander, really. You're right. I can't argue with that. That's true. And- and even the heroes, like when he attacks, the heroes are never like, holy shit, it's Skeletor, what do we do? They're all, it's Skeletor, let's go noogie him and send him on his way. That's true, actually. I think that comes from the whole, you know, they still want, he the He-Man cartoon in that is still kind of, how can I put this, soft and fluffy? I don't, don't think that's quite yeah. the right word to it, but it's still very gentle overall. Well, because again, it was, it was, as I understand, it was, the cartoon was aimed at very young kids. Yeah, it is. It's very clearly aimed at very young kids. Yeah, and, and that's why they didn't want to do anything. And you've got this, like, skeleton-headed guy, but they didn't want him to be scary. Mm-hmm. And that's why he kind of exists in this, this that that weird nether space. He's almost like a Sesame Street villain. Yeah, pretty much. And I think that's one of the reasons why a lot of the... Um, the newer takes mm-hmm. on Masters of the Universe, they never catch on because a lot of people are familiar with the characters and the setting from the old cartoon. Yeah. And it's still imprinted on your brain that Skeletor is a yutz, so any attempt to really kind of make him a threat, it just doesn't register. Yeah, that's true. I mean, there was that cartoon that they did back for Cartoon Network back in, like, the late 2000s, like, late aughts. Yeah. And that wasn't too bad. I mean, they did they did an okay job of making Salator come across as a threat and, you know, an actual badass. Um, yeah, I was kind of okay yeah. with that one. Yeah, it, it wasn't bad because again, they, it was it was very serious. It's it's mm. it's funny though to see a big dramatic scene. Oh no, Fisto is trapped. <laughs> <laughs> Worst name ever. <laughs> but what's right. his power? He's got this big fist. Anyway, nope, don't want to hear. PG, PG. But but yeah, I'm, I'm I'm wondering of all the things that I think you could bring back as a wacky comedy. Mm-hmm. I think Masters of the Universe, you could. Right. I think it would be difficult because you'd have to juggle that that comedy versus threat kind of thing. But mm-hmm. I think maybe, yeah, because Skeletor really is kind of a unique character in the history of, of science fantasy. Be- I, and, I, and again, I think because of that, because he's meant to be a super awesome overlord in a little kid story. Yeah, well, we'll find out because they are doing an, another live-action Masters of the Universe movie is coming, 
and <laughs> um, it might actually happen this time. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, if you'd like to write in and tell us your thoughts about evil overlords, you can drop by obeythedna.com and uh, leave a message or check out some of the show notes, the things that we've talked about in this episode. And um, if you disagree with us, please come on ObeyTheDNA.com and uh, write your thoughts and let us know. Tell us your angry defense of the evil overlord that has stolen your heart. (laughs) So from Don and I, thanks for listening. Tune in next time and uh, we'll talk about something equally as amazing as this. Later, folks. At least is weird. Or at least is weird. (laughs) Good night, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to hear more or join the conversation, come visit us at ObeyTheDNA.com. You can also find us on iTunes or whatever fine podcast site forgot to lock their back door. So until next time, remember that to master the nerdly arts takes time, practice, and enough Coca-Cola to drop a rhino. See ya! See ya!